Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I welcome marketer and entrepreneur Sid Barak to the partner to your Partner in Success Radio. Now, Sid is the CEO and co-founder of Broca, which is a platform to generate marketing content using artificial intelligence, AI. So prior to starting Broca, which is all about content marketing, he worked with numerous tech startups as a marketing consultant. He has previously led marketing teams at companies like Thinkific, Lemonstand, which was acquired by MailChimp, and Georgius. Gorgias. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I'll ask it in a minute. He has also consulted and run ads for dozens of companies like ClickUp, Typeform, Procurify, and more. He was number seven employee and VP of growth at Thinkific, where he was in charge of growing the MRR. I did ask him what that meant in our green room a few minutes ago, and I'll get him to explain it. So during his time, they 20 timed 20 times the MRR and reached more than 6,000 paying users. He's also known as a marketing consultant who has worked with amazing companies in San Francisco like Sharedesk, Olark, Carthook, Recharge, and many more. I am very familiar with most of these companies, so I'm fascinated to see what he's got to share here today. So he is here today to share how to identify your top marketing channels, really important, because things change. You know, sometimes you think you're supposed to be on Facebook. Sometimes you think you're supposed to be on LinkedIn or, or Twitter. We're going to figure out what your and others. We're going to figure out what your top marketing channels are. He's going to talk about a framework for growth the lessons that he learned starting a new tech company during a pandemic, I believe, and tips and tricks to raise venture capital. Sid, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Hey, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, good. Did I lie? Did you start this thing during a pandemic? Was I wrong? I did, actually. It was last year. Um, okay. Right after the I pandemic hate, began. Yeah. I hate to start a podcast line, so I cleared that up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, and I found that interesting as well. I mean, you know, everybody, I, I'll be honest with you, I got very tired of the word or the term pivot. It's like, really? Mm-hmm. How about if you just adapt? I hate that. Now pivot is in my <laughs> top ten of words like, Ugh. <laughs> it just makes me shudder. It looks like though you didn't pivot, you adapted and you saw a need and you you build that need. So before I get too far into that, tell people a bit about yourself that I may have missed. And then let's talk about why you started this during a pandemic. I think that's fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I think pivot is, is a very overused term as well. Um, but uh, yeah, to your point, I, uh, I, I've been doing a lot of marketing for various companies and startups and uh, a lot of marketing online is about creating content, right? So you have to write your blog posts and, and your website landing page copy and your emails and social media. Um, and I, I note as marketing and doing all of this stuff in a company, it was either very time, uh, time intensive or resource oh, intensive. Yeah. 
Very, right. both. So both. I do it you're, you're probably my very clients and, oh, my God. I mean, people say, well, you know, this, this can get a little expensive. Sit down and follow me around one day. This is all I do when I'm not building a website. It is very time intensive. And you have to know what you're doing and who your your audience is so you can speak directly to them. So I'm really excited about talking with you today. Exactly, yeah. And and I I thought well why not use technology to automate some of this stuff right, um, and uh, the advancements in AI over the last few years, especially over the last couple of years, and in, in specifically in regards to natural language processing, and the way AI can mimic humans in writing like them, um, has really uh, advanced a lot. And so I. I saw that there was potential to use this technology in marketing and to be able to create content for marketers using AI. Um, and so that's why I started uh, the company that I did last year, which was in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I, there, was a, there was some new technologies and models that came out that were really amazing in terms of the way that it could create content. So you could give it a piece of... Uh, input as a text and say, hey, I want you to generate, you know, like a, a blog article for me and would do so and would do so really well. Like you could not tell the difference between the AI and the human. Um, and so I I started to use this technology and build a company around it. You know, I've heard of that technology. I have not tried that technology. So we can talk about that a little bit too. You know, one of the problems, and maybe this is just my personal bias, is that I do have to work with my clients. I have to speak in their voice. And mm-hmm. to me, that's kind of a personal thing. I'm guessing, mm-hmm. if I'm hearing you correctly, that you can kind of get out of your own way. I'm hoping because I need some help. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I love what I do, but at midnight, I'm like, oh, geez, I should. Oh, geez, oh, geez. And back to my office I go. <laughs> I should have thought about that. I should have written this. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so if <laughs> I know I'm a lunatic, but it's it sounds like I can actually get out of my own way by using some of the maybe using your company. Let's talk a bit about that. How does this actually work? Let's let's use me as a case study. I've got a client who I adore. He's one of my favorite people in the entire world, bar none. And he's a retired NFL referee. He is an amazing, amazing person. I, you know, I'm proud to call him one of my very dearest friends. I don't know anything about football. I don't want to know anything about football. I don't care about football. <laughs> But I have to write things for him. I don't have to, but, you know, it's best if I kind of keep him, you know, in his own, you know, road, so to speak, or path. I can't even think. It's cold out here. We're still in the middle of that winter storm. So anyway, just just using him as a case study, if I were to give, you know, your company or, or your tool, say, okay, I want to talk about top NFL referees, would we be able to speak in his voice or would I be able to at least take the raw article and tweak it? Absolutely. So what you would do is if you were using our tool specifically, you would initially give it a bit of information about him and his, his tone of voice and branding. So you would sort of train it, so to speak on, on the kind of, uh, that's what I was trying words. to say. How do I train it? Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you would give give a bit, and there's like a you know there's a form that you'd fill out as you onboard onto the platform, uh, where you would describe in in that brand and tone of voice, and then the the next stage is when you are creating this blog article or you know, whatever else it is. It could just also just be social media posts. You would describe what that blog article would be, and then it would match the tone of voice, and then generate a blog article around that. So, I'm guessing that I would want to go over it, and you know, I mean, I. I use a lot of PLR, you know, private label rights, and I will just mm-hmm. tweak the heck out of them because it's already written. A lot of them will just give me a good idea, but I will have to take it and just say, okay, now this has to be written in my own voice or my client's voice or mostly mine. And mm-hmm. that could be time-consuming, although the idea is there, a lot of the great points are there. So does does your tool kind of clean that up since we're already putting a lot of information in there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, this is, um, I, I think it's it's best to look at tools like this and technologies like this as a way to augment you, uh, right. to make you more productive, right? So it's not replacing you and you, it's not like fully automated, but you do, you can give it, you train it a bit, you give it some inputs, it generates something for you and then you come clean, you come and make sure it's all good. But, you know, typically the gra- gra- grammar is actually um, flawless, right? Um, and it's just okay. it's you just making sure that there's a good flow and a good story to it. In, in and the, that's the important, author. the story. I think so many people, and, you know, I belong to a couple of um, Facebook groups where I largely lurk. I just want to see what's bothering people or concerning people, how they're, you know, they're solving their issues. And so many people, they keep saying, and I'm hearing this a lot, Sid, you may as well, it's like, I just don't know how to write well. That's a big deal. It's kind of up there with speaking. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. are just scared to death of public speaking, which is what we're doing right now. Podcasting is public speaking. But having to write something, listen, I'm trying to write a book. I've been trying to write this book for three years. I have got, so far, an epic blank page. That's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I'm... Writing for a lot of people, including me, and I actually write well, can just scare the bejeebers out of us. What is mm-hmm. that yeah. all about? Yeah, but and you know, imagine if uh, everyone has this like blank page sort of thing, right? Like where you, you're sitting and staring at a blank page when you're trying to write something new. It's hard to come up with that initial foundation. But if if technology could create say eighty percent of it for you, then gotcha. your job is simply to make it yeah the twenty percent. See, I love that idea because if I can, you know, give somebody a tool or a virtual assistant or somebody, you know, this is what I want to do, and then mm-hmm. let them run with it, and then me come back and go, oh, good start. Let me finish this or change it. And and this is what you're saying AI is doing for us. And you know, Sid, I kind of knew that, mm-hmm. but I. I've not gotten out of my own way yet. So how did you identify that this was something that really is important to people? Yeah, you know, before, uh, in a previous life, before I was a marketer, I actually was an engineer. So um, I've, I've I've always been in touch with uh, kind of the progress in, in engineering and artificial intelligence. So um, just, you know, being able to combine those two fields, uh, my insider knowledge as a marketer and experience there and then my um, knowledge of, of engineering I, I figured there was like something there that could be done about it 
I love this. Yeah, you know, I I started. Oh gosh, I got my computer science degree in 2001. So in terms of technology, I'm probably elderly. I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> but none of this existed when I, you know, launched my little company. None of it. I mean, to be yep. honest, when I've started building websites, I was doing them on a laptop using HTML. We didn't oh, wow. have all of the good I know. <laughs> I said elderly, right? That's how I learned. I I still, you know, write in HTML when I need to. But in just 20 years, I mean, look where how far we've come. I, it's amazing mm-hmm. the things that we are now able to do. That when I, my first website was blue background, white white text, we couldn't put pictures in. We couldn't do any of that. We didn't have graphical user interface. It wasn't that long ago. It just yeah, wasn't. So, and, and, and here uh, we are. Yeah, and the uh, the pace at which the technology is growing is, is also like exponential, right? So, in in a year, and I can tell you, like right now, actually, there are AI uh, models that can generate an image for you if you simply describe what you want the image to have, right? So you Seriously? say, I want, I want, yeah, I, I want to create an image of uh, three plants uh, that are in the shape of um, a small tree, and it will do that for you. Uh, yeah, that's that's happening right now. And then in two years, you will be able to do that for videos. And you'll say, I want to, I want to create a video where uh, there are a few people playing basketball on a basketball court, and one of them jumps really high in the air. Don't create a video. So we don't need actors anymore, right? <laughs> we, well, the, uh, have you seen uh, there, there are there's a website called This Person Is Not Real, and it's just yes. like all so images of people in solidarity. Yep, I was going to go yeah. there and ask you about that as well. Yeah, so uh, it's all AI-generated humans, so you probably don't need actors. <laughs> and now, too, there's voices, and that's been around for a while, you know, where you can actually sound exactly like somebody else. If I wanted to sound like, I don't know, let's say Bill Clinton, I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't want to, but yeah. I could. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, you know, like... Uh, some of the, the deep fake technology, right? So you can you can take, say, Bill Clinton's past videos, and you can alter it to make it make him say whatever you want him to say, um, and it would look very very real. So we don't need the media any longer either. This is <laughs> actors media. Let's just get rid of all of them. Okay, so where do you see? I've got to ask because I'm. I mean, I'm just wildly curious about where you see this going, it is going to change entire segments of our population, I think. I mean, media is difficult anyway. I am yeah. one of those people, I'm deeply suspicious of almost everybody, so in terms of media and, you know, what what's being put out there, I'm always going, is this real? Is this really real? Mm-hmm, you know, I yeah. don't think that's real, so I don't take any of it. You know, oh, somebody said so-and-so, and oh, good, you know, they're a bad guy, and I just don't operate mm-hmm. like that, but too many people do. So where do yep. you see that this, you know, it can be used for propaganda, it can be used for good. Where do you see this going? Yeah, that's a tough one because, you know, like you said, it can be used for good and, and for, for bad, right? And I think there's going to be, there's always going to be, like every technology, even if you look at social media right now, is is being used for both good and bad. Social media, Facebook, for example, you can connect with your friends, but at the same time, um, you can propagate misinformation, and then you know mm-hmm. there's, you get into this whole quagmire of 
of uh, Facebook itself trying to like censor people and stuff. So um, it's it's I think there's always been uh, when you, when you think about like communication and um, news and media, it's always been like that where you just never know. But in the past, people assumed that most of the times the media and the publication were trustworthy. Um, going forward, it's just like since anyone can create anything, um, you have to just become more skeptical of like kind of question everything, right? So I think it's just going to become more and more complicated and confusing to determine what is real and what is not real. But, you know, you have to maintain that skepticism. I agree with you, and that's something I was born with, so it's not something I developed later on in life, although I did read the you know, Orwell 1984 when I was a kid, and I took that oh, very yeah. seriously, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> so are there going to, you know, your company is, I mean, you're very passionate about what you do, and you're clearly very knowledgeable about what you're doing. Do you... Let's talk about how to identify your top marketing channels. I mean, there's so many. There's Instagram. There's you know, there's Facebook. There's Twitter, which I dumped, and I'll never go back. It's a cesspool. Just my personal opinion. Um, you know, there's just so many, and they're always starting up. Where? How do you yep. identify top marketing channels? Should you be in a hundred, or should you be in three? What do you kind of advise people to do? Yeah, so you know when you are at, especially at an early stage of a company, or you have limited resources, you can't do everything, right? And there's like a hundred different things you can do in marketing, right? So what you want to do is you want to figure out what are the top three to five out of the hundred things you can do that will get you the bulk of the results. So it's going to be like three to five that'll get you eighty percent of the results, and then the remaining ninety-five will be like twenty percent of the results. And you want to focus your attention on the top three to five, um, so that you you know, you're not overextending yourself and, and, uh, and you can, you know, you have enough resources for just three to five. So what I usually say is it really starts with the, the target audience that you're going after, right? Like who is it you're selling to and what is, what are some of the problems that they face and where do they reside online? Like what platforms are they usually spending a lot of time on? What websites do they read? What books or podcasts or, or videos do they consume, right? Um, what things do they search for on Google? And you have to be, to get all of this information, you need to start by talking to your customers or talking to if you don't have any and really trying to get in. And even if you just do like 10 interviews, you can you can understand exactly, like you can find patterns about, all right, you know, my target audience typically spends a lot of time on Facebook. So therefore, Facebook is going to be a really good channel for me versus um, you know TikTok, right? Uh, if they say they don't spend any time at all on TikTok, so exactly, um, yeah. And so that's that's kind of how like you go from understanding the customer to understanding which channels work, and and that's how you figure out your top marketing channels. And Sid, you said something about results, which I think is something that people miss. It's like, oh, it's easy to be mm-hmm. on Facebook. It's easy to go ahead and get Hootsuite and just cram it full of stuff and have it automatically go out to LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you want it to go. But what are the results that you're getting? And I think that's where a lot of people just go, well, I don't know. I've got stuff going out every day. They're not looking at their results. So let's talk about that a bit because if you're just cramming a whole bunch of stuff out there on Facebook and nobody gives a flying flip, what in the heck do you think you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. 
and and I think like a foundational thing to do is before you even start like putting a lot of effort into your marketing, is just figure out which, um, figure out your analytics, right? Like, um, how are you tracking all this stuff? Your your traffic to your website, your um, signups or purchases of your product or whatever else it is, right? So making sure you've got your goals set in your analytics platform, you've got like tracking scripts all over the place, um, and and then for each channel like measure how much work you're doing and measure the results from each channel. Okay, what is how much is Facebook getting bringing us? Um, how's that traffic converting on the website? What is the overall value of the conversions, right? And then you'll know, okay, we spent say, you know, ten hours last week and we we, we also spent five hundred dollars on a freelancer to help us out to create a bunch of promotions on Facebook. And at the end of the day, they it sent, you know, thousand visitors to our site and 10 of them purchased something, right? And those 10 purchases were worth $100 each, so that's $1,000. So we essentially doubled our money kind of thing, right? And so then you make that judgment about, right, is that is that a good enough ROI on this channel? Or is there another channel that can give me a higher ROI that I could I should focus on rather? Exactly. Now, a lot of people are listening going, I know all of this. I've heard all of this. I don't have a clue where to start or how to track anything. So would you – I was – when I first started, I didn't know. Nobody taught me. I had to learn it on my own. But what would you tell people, listen, hire, you know, hire this kind of person or this kind of um, virtual assistant or this kind of expert? How do you tell people – you don't need to know all of this. You just need to be aware of it and have somebody help you with it. Yeah, exactly. Like if you could, if you could find, if you, if you know enough that you could just like get maybe a junior intermediate marketer or freelancer to do um, some of the marketing, then then you're like essentially scaling yourself, right? Like you're 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 doubling your output, right? So. I mean, if you, you know, start off with the analytics, if you don't really know about the analytics, um, Google Analytics is a really good tool for you to use. It's a very basic and simple tool. Um, and if you need help there, it's like, um, you know, you can find like on Upwork, you can find someone who can help you install Google Analytics and make sure it's tracking everything correctly. Um, and then doing the research, as I mentioned earlier, about like understanding your audience, that is something that you as a business owner uh, need to do yourself, I think, because that's... Yes. that's yeah, I agree. You, you get it, right? Like, yeah. Um, but you, once you do that research and you figure out what channels um, are probably the best to be uh, focusing on, then and if you don't know anything about those channels, then, then find someone specifically who's good at those channels um, and get them. And you can start off with a small test, right? So you start out with say, hey, okay, let's just do two weeks of work or a month of work. And I'm tracking, you're tracking everything, right? You're tracking all the traffic and the conversions because you set up Google Analytics already. So you make sure that you're tracking how much money you're spending on these, this freelancer or this marketer uh, and, and, and making sure that they're doing the, the work uh, that you're paying for. And then you're tracking the results of that. So then you know if this is worth investing, continue, continue to invest in uh, as you go along. And I'm going to add to that. A lot of people, I found this in the virtual assistance industry. For years, I was a very highly paid virtual assistant. It was kind of an outshoot of my web development. I was always adding on value for my clients. I, many of my web development clients have been with me for 
10 to 15 years. I mean, we really mm-hmm. take good care of them, rebuild their sites as needed, take care of their social media. But what I have noticed is that a lot of people will say, okay, I'm going to get a, a VA. And before the virtual assistance industry became so oversaturated by people who I'm going to offend somebody, I'm going to warn you right now, you know, you were a receptionist for about a minute and a half and now you're a virtual assistant. I don't think so, but unfortunately that happens. (laughs) And I'm a tacky person. I want things to work. So, you know, that that kind of attitude doesn't work for me, but that leads me to my, I had a thought, and I think I'm going to find it again, is that a lot of people, a lot of people will say, okay, I've got a VA. I told them to do this, 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 and then they're not following up. They're not tracking what their assistant or their, you know, intern or is doing and all of a sudden nothing's happening, nothing's really working, they may actually get into a bit of trouble. So how do we explain to people, look, you can hire somebody and I do, I've got a terrific team, but I also know what the heck they're doing all the time. Mhm. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there are it's it's good to have like these sort of like work tools like maybe Trello or Asana so that you know mm-hmm. right, what work is being assigned to these people, what are they doing, um, and also make sure that they whoever you hire is sending you a report. Uh, it could be the end of the day report or a weekly report to summarize their activities of that week so you know exactly what they're doing and whether they are spending their time on the right things, doing the right things, right? Um, and so you have like kind of uh, two sources of of information. One is the actual work being tracked by the, the the freelancer or the assistant, and then the the data that's coming in from your uh, analytics tools. Exactly. My point is, it's never a good idea to say, "Well, I've got a VA. I don't know what's going wrong." Well, you're the bottleneck. Yeah. You're doing your part mm-hmm. of it. And people say, "But, but that's why I hired somebody." Okay. So let's just put it this way: you've got a brand new baby. You hired a nanny, but you never check in with that nanny or even go look in the crib to see if that baby's still breathing. That's about how bad it can get. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. That's a good analogy. I know it sounded terrible when I said it, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) So, So let's go back to what you're talking about with AI. So I'm assuming that once people kind of wrap their heads around I'm hoping that once they wrap their heads around what they really need to do for growth, what they really need to do for marketing, that it cannot just 100% be handed off to somebody else who may or may not do a terrific job for you and that you're not communicating well with, that's another issue. And then we move on up to AI, I mean, which is a natural progression. So how does that look to you? You know, somebody's got terrific marketing going on, but now they really, really want to, you know, clean it up and get better. So what happens when they go to you? Yeah, so like, you know, maybe a few years ago what at if if they were in that situation, they've got great marketing going on and they have maybe, you know, one marketer and they're like, okay, we want to like double our growth, the 10x of growth. We need to hire at that point they would have said, let's hire, we need to hire more people. So they hire two uh, two more marketers. But what's happening today with AI is you have that one marketer and then that one marketer uses a tool like what we've built and they can do the work of two or three marketers now because it's 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 generating, it's doing a lot of the the content creation for them, right? Sounds so like a like, machine. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's giving you superpowers, essentially, right? Um, it's multiplying your output. So instead of hiring more people on, you simply use a tool to uh, to do as you know the same amount of work that you would have if you had hired two more people. Right. Okay. So again, let's use me as an example. I have a lot of mm-hmm. clients. I'm doing a lot of social yep. media for a lot of people. It's exhausting. I yep. need to get, I need, and, and I have a team, but I don't really like them doing the written part of the social media because I need to speak, like I've said, in my client's voice. This is a true story. Yep. <laughs> this is a true story. It's so funny. Years ago when Facebook, you know, Hootsuite didn't exist and none of this existed, you had to, to log in to Facebook to post things. You couldn't schedule them. You had to be on the spot right then, right there. And one night late at night, and I forgot, I was in a client's uh, Facebook page, and I forgot to, you know, show that I wasn't there, that nobody was there. And his nephew popped up in the little chat. It's like, hey, uncle, and I won't tell you the name, but he's like, hey, you know, how's everything? Boy, your Facebook is really good. I mean, blah, blah, blah. And I had to fess up and tell him I wasn't his uncle, that I was somebody else entirely. He got mad at his uncle. I had to wow. call my client and say, you know, your your guy is kind of upset. He doesn't feel like this is honest. It's like it's a business page. It has nothing to do with you. But you know, his, yeah. his nephew was, pro- and this was years ago. He's probably still mad for all I know. <laughs> you know. Things do change. So my point, and I do have a point. I promise, is that when you've got somebody like me who has multiple clients who have multiple needs. How do you? How does your your tool work with something like that, where we can be constantly churning out really great information for a lot of clients? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like a perfect use case for it, right? Because you know, you have you have all these clients and all these different um, social media uh, channels that you need to create content for each of them, and they all have their own unique tone of voice and branding, right? And so, like. Maybe in the past you would have to hire. Maybe depending on how effective uh, uh, people are, you have to have like maybe one marketer to take care of three clients, something mm-hmm. like that, right? And so as you scale up your business, you you're just adding on more headcount to your business. Um, so instead of that, what you can do right now is you can say, all right, now one of my marketers can handle ten clients instead of just two or three, and using this tool, they can you know, create content for each of those clients in those unique brand voices and they'll have more time as well to do other things like, you know, set up the tracking or measure it or, or you know, do more research or whatever else it is you need them to do. So So you mean we like, get you know, to sleep at night? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. You get to sleep <laughs> I'm at not night. kidding. <laughs> I have been known to wake up at three in the morning and go, oh, geez, and run to my computer and knock something out. I mean, it's been a while since I've had to do that. I've, you know, I've got a little system going. But when I first started, it's like, oh my gosh, I bought a, a, my, a domain name for your partner in Success Radio at three eighteen in the morning. I mean, yeah. just, wow. your brain doesn't shut down when you work the way we work. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. I, I mean, you, you, we're connected on LinkedIn, and um, we are. If, if you go to my LinkedIn page, all my posts are generated by AI. All of them. Are they? So what and I do they're, is they're great because I've been watching you over there. They're really good. Thank you. And many people don't know this. I have like my I have some of my connections comment on them, 
uh, when you may, if you've seen some of the comments, you'll be like, oh, this is really deep or insightful. And then, and then I'll, you know, secretly tell that it's actually generated by AI, but thank you. But yeah. you know what I do is it's taken me maybe, uh, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes to create each post previously. So if I was doing seven posts a week, that would have been like a good um, uh, three hours of work to just write, write that content previously. But now what I do is Sunday morning, I spend five minutes, I generate seven articles for my LinkedIn and I put it into my Hootsuite or Buffer and that's it and good for the week, right? So from three hours of work, it's gone out of five minutes. And that was going to be my next question. You know, when we, let's assume I'm your client, I'm probably going to be in about an hour, but let's just, <laughs> I'm fascinated with what you're doing. Um, so it's not going to automatically, you can't just post it kind of like Hootsuite. You have to actually take it download it and then decide where you want to send it and how you want to send it and when you want to send it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the reason we do it that way is because you kind of do want to have some control at the end of the day and not just have it post mm-hmm. indiscriminately so that at least you, you know, I, I generate maybe 15 posts and then I whittle it down to seven that I really like. Um, and most of them just go through unedited because they're like, you know, really good. Um, but, you know, I'm still, I'm still making decisions. If you do say so yourself, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see where you're going with that. And, and I wanted to ask for two. I mean, I'm spending a lot of time. Sorry. It just popped out. I mean, sometimes you have to, you know, go, hey, good yeah. job. Put yourself on the head. Or you have to kind of knock yourself in the forehead and call that knocking on wood. It depends on what you're thinking yeah. about. But, but. One thing that I'm doing a lot, and I think a lot of people are too, because, you know, Facebook is becoming a problem with censoring, and Twitter is, oh, my God. Um, You already know what I think about Twitter, but a lot of us are spending time on alternate platforms, MeWe, Gab, Parler, if it ever gets back to working. So I'm guessing that whatever you're producing, whatever your AI is producing for all of these other channels is going to be perfectly fine for these new platforms. See, at the end of the day, like whatever the platform, your core message is still the same. Right? Exactly. It's just that you change it to fit the character limits or whatever or the, you know, whatever you have on these platforms, right? Or the medium on these platforms. So your, your clubhouse is a audio. So you would, you know, instead of text, it would be audio, uh, you know, Twitter or some of those are like, 280 character limits. So the core messaging is still the same, but you just like sort of adapt it to different platforms. So whatever the platform is in the future, we don't know something new could come up tomorrow. But the, at the end of the day, your core message is just still the same. Exactly. And that's, I think that's what I was trying to get to with no clarity at all. Sorry about that. But you mentioned um, Clubhouse. Are you over there? I am. I uh, unfortunately am an Android user. I tried to get an iPhone. Uh, just to get my right. um, uh, no, they would not uh, swap it out, so <laughs> I'm stuck in my Android oh. for three years. Well, uh, and, yeah, you know, they, you can always, I was going to say, you can always grab um, one of those cheap iPhones and you know, go to oh, yeah. just a really cheap host and use it just for, for that particular group, that particular platform. That's actually a good idea. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, huh, yeah I think I you that. could probably <laughs> even use, you know, one of those things that you buy at the grocery store at Walmart. I don't think you even have to have a real, I don't know, try it. 
Let me know how it works. Sometimes I have good ideas. So, but I like it. You know, I've been doing more listening over there than actually jumping in because I want to yeah. learn from other people. You know, I'm fascinated by how people operate and how they share their wisdom, so to speak. So, uh, at some point, I will jump in and, and become a powerhouse over there. I'm convinced. But right now, mm-hmm. I'm lurking. I do a lot of lurking. I probably shouldn't admit that. But it's how you, you listen to other people. That's why social media exists. So oh, yeah. we we are really rocking and rolling here. We've only got about 23 more minutes. So we've mm-hmm. identified the top marketing channels. Let's talk about mm-hmm. one of the things that you talk about or in our previous conversation when we were doing the pre-work, a framework for growth. Have we kind of talked a bit about that or should we kind of say, okay, one, two, three, four, five? I can, I can quickly run through the five stages um, and there are five stages for you. So I briefly touched upon the first two stages and uh, previously and it's the first stages, like early understanding your, your customer, who they are, uh, demographic information, where they hang out online, um, you know, what, what they care about, what are the things that they're looking for online. Now, the second stage is trying to map out the customer journey because um, every every buying decision goes through a sort of journey, whether it's it takes a few days or a few months or a few years for that journey to, to go from start to finish. Um, and the journey is usually problem unaware. So, you know, you're going about your daily life, but you aren't aware that you have a problem. Um, the second stage is becoming problem aware. So now you know you have a problem, um, but you you don't yet know how to solve that. Third stage is, is becoming solution aware. So you know the problem and you know how to solve it, uh, but you don't know what product to use to solve that. Fourth stage is product aware. You know what product to use to solve that problem. And the fifth stage is like making a decision on which product you want to use. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, e-commerce, right? Everyone knows Shopify. Um, and uh, so the, the the core buying journey for someone who uses Shopify, an e-commerce store owner, goes like this. You're a retailer uh, and your, you know, life is going well. You are unaware that you have any problems right now because life is going well as a retailer. And then one day you realize, you know what? Your sales are not growing as much as you were hoping. Um, and you realize that's a problem, your sales are not growing. And then you start to figure out, try to look online or talk to people, go to conferences, try to understand why your sales are not growing. And at some point, you realize that there's a solution to grow sales. You have to go online because that's where everyone is shopping nowadays. So your solution is to go online, but you don't quite know how to go online. Like, what does that mean? Do you build your own site? Do you, like, use a, a, a software? So you start doing more research on how to start selling online. And um, you find a whole bunch of products. There's like WordPress and WooCommerce. There's Magento. There's Shopify. There's Amazon. And then through digging through all of this stuff and looking at reviews online and so on and doing your research, you say, you know what? I think I like Shopify the best. seems really easy. It integrates with my other uh, workflows. And I'm going to pick that. And so you make that decision and pick Shopify as a retailer. That's the buying process. Um, and so that is like, it may take months, it may take more than a few months. Um, in some cases, like buying a phone, it's 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 very short. It's a short cycle. You already, most people are already in the, the product aware stage. So you don't need to go through the whole 
problem unaware, problem aware, solution aware, because everyone is aware that phones exist in the different brands. So you're always at that decision point of should you pick iPhone or Android or something else. So that's that's kind of like the the buyer journey, and that occurs everywhere. Whatever you sell, whatever product you sell, whatever service you sell, your customers going through that journey, and you need to figure out at each step of the journey what are some of the trigger points that get them to the next stage, right? So. Um, Back to the Shopify example, the trigger point for someone who um, is in the the uh, problem where stage is that they um, they they realize that they are not growing fast enough, and they are looking online uh, things like how do I increase my retail sales, right? And then they search, they see articles about um, uh, going online, or they go to a conference for retailers and they hear about you know all these other retailers who are doing well going into e-commerce and going online. So that's a trigger point for them. And so at those trigger points, you want to be there. You want to be showing up at those trigger points to go, uh, so that they go, oh, this is another solution that I can use, or this is another product that I can use. Right. So step one was mapping, was understanding the customer. Step two is mapping out this journey. Step three is putting together a list of channels and messaging and trigger points that you have uh, compiled based on steps one, steps one and two. And as you, f- you list out all these channels and messaging, then you can start testing out each channel. That's step four. So you start testing each channel, maybe putting in, if you identify Facebook as a good channel, put in $100 Facebook ads. If you identify Google search as a good channel, put in $100 behind Google ads, right? Um, or, you know, if you identify Clubhouse as a good channel, spend spend a few hours on Clubhouse, getting into some rooms, talking over there, seeing if people are following you back and signing up for your product or service, right? And you have to measure everything. Like I said earlier, set up your analytics up front, measure everything, see how each channel is doing. And then step five is once you figure out which are the best performing channels based on your measurements, you scale that up and you scale that up either by hiring someone like we spoke about um, or, or using a... a software or tool that can help you scale um, or both, right? And uh, those are the, the five steps of, uh, of the framework. Exactly. And I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about clients who have what I can only call shiny object syndrome. Like, oh, I read this over here. What about Carter? What about, you know, Carter? And, you know, honestly, a lot of what I do has been from the beginning till now, you know, even today is walking people back from the ledge. It's like, yep. dude, you have not gotten the results of your last little deal here. Why don't we mm-hmm. step back a bit and see what's working and what's not? And don't buy exactly. another $1,000 product that you haven't mm-hmm. worked on the last one. You it's a common thing, and I, I really advise people to you know, take time. See what you're doing. See how it's working, and then start looking for fixes. But don't just go, oh, that didn't work in the week and a half that I had it up and running. People get very, mm-hmm. very impatient, and I understand it. But take take a break. You know, take a break yeah. and ask for advice from people who know what they're doing. Exactly, and and you know, like having a framework like this in place puts those guardrails around you so that you don't fall off shiny object syndrome. Because you know, guardrails right, like that. Yeah, and you know exactly. All right, this is the research that we've done, and these are the channels that people are on. And so, does this shiny new object fit into that? Yes or no? If it does, 
okay, test it out. But if it doesn't stick to the plan, press in the button. Exactly, exactly. And you said you were talking about problem aware. Again, Facebook, I like to see what people are doing. I like to see if I can maybe help. I like to learn mm-hmm. from people who are doing great things and who are making massive mistakes. And sometimes the same person is doing both. But there was yep. um, a group that, I, that I'm in. Again, I'm lurking. <laughs> I'm not really chatting a whole lot in any of them, but I'm learning, by golly. And the, they were problem aware, very problem aware. If this is a nonprofit, and they were saying that you know their their donations are way, way down. So I had to ask, are you using just Facebook for donations? Because frankly, I will not donate through fa- Facebook. I just won't. You know, when I come across something that I want, like Horse Meadow Farm, you know, they always need hay for their horses. I will text them and say, you need to give me a link from PayPal or something. I will not donate from from uh, Facebook. That's a problem. And it's going to become a bigger problem as people get a little bit more wary of Facebook. So they were problem aware, but it didn't occur to her with the conversation that they needed to have other avenues. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you don't want to have put all your uh, eggs in one basket, right? No. Um, yeah. So if you have like three channels, and because eventually maybe one one channel will die out, right? Or it will become unpopular, or it will saturate. So you want to have other channels in your pipeline to start working on and testing out as well. What was the the big platform before Facebook? Um... Gosh, we were all on it for a while. What was that? Oh, was name? it Uh, no, it was a guy named Tom that had started it. Oh, uh, okay. It was MySpace. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's it. That's it. I MySpace? suspect I. Yeah, I suspect I still have an account over there, but I wouldn't be able to get into <laughs> it or find yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it was a big deal, and then it just died. It died. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to you. One of the things that I wanted you to share was the lessons that you learned starting a new tech company in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. What stands out to you with a little bit of time that you can go back and go, hey, that was great, or what the heck was I thinking? You know, one of the one of the interesting things about doing this during a pandemic is, is because everyone is forced into kind of lockdown and uh, uh, staying at home is now everyone is online. And working remotely is a, is the norm now, right? Um, and so, had I had this not been a pandemic, pandemic, if I started, I would have been sort of looking locally for hires and looking for an office space locally. Oh. Um, and it can be expensive. I live in a in a in the most expensive city in in Canada, um, and so you know that would have been a huge expense, and I would have had to raise more money than I needed, right, than I raised right now. But because of this this whole global sort of anyone could be working from anywhere now remotely, um, I was able to find hires in New Zealand. Um, and, you know, it's for comparatively to hire people out there. Uh, it's not as expensive of a place as Canada is or the U.S. Um, so it, it allowed me to, like, quickly grow and hire people faster and cheaper than I would normally have if it were not a pandemic. Um, so that was one of the interesting things that came out of it. And I think you'll see more and more people adopt uh, this approach, right? Like starting a business, you can you can start it online. 
and then you can find people online to hire. And I've never met some of these people that I've hired, like never in my life. Um, but they're working with me now, and we have these video conferences every week uh, to check in with each other. Um, and we have like systems in place to you know track all the work that everyone's doing and the goals and such. Um, and it's working fine so far. That's what exactly. Yeah, I have been working remotely forever. I mean, when I graduated, I was the only female in my class in a tech, you know, computer science, and people would look at me like, yeah. really? <laughs> you know, there are no female web developers. Well, there is now. I mean, there were very few yeah. of us now. Of course, we're everywhere. But my, I'll be very frank with you, I'm an introvert. I'm a highly committed introvert. I don't want to hang around with other people. And you do not want me in your office. I don't play well with others, and I run with scissors. And if you want coffee, you can get it your own damn self. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, unless I like you, and that's, you know, if you're right there. But, but I deliberately started my business online before there really was much to start with, and there was certainly no training. But it was critical for me to be off by myself in my own head where I'm very creative. And like you, I've got, you know, team members who have been with me for, gosh, a decade or better. Never met them. I've got clients that I have never met. In fact, out of all of my web development clients, I think I've only met two over the years, and that's only because they were local. I don't normally work local, but I don't need to. I mean, there are so many ways of communicating. There's a phone, there's text, there's, you know, all of the different tools that we use, we can get a lot of work done sitting at home in an office. In fact, I yeah, think we get yeah. more done by being at home without a lot of people water cooling yourself. You know, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I think, you know, Facebook is a, a poisoned water cooler. I'm not liking them very much right now. <laughs> This is, these are things that we all learn as we work on our own with our feline office assistants and the occasional dog. But, yeah, it, you're right. It's a whole different thing. But are you finding that working on your own without having an office and the expenses and the people running around going, hey, boss, I need help, are you finding that you're a lot more effective time-wise? Yeah, I am. Um, it's I find that I'm able to set my own schedule, which which helps me like figure out okay when am I most productive during the day, and those are the times when I'm mm-hmm. working, and when I'm not productive, then I can I'm you know go to the gym or I can go out for to meet a friend or something like that. So it allows me to structure my day um, outside of the kind of like the strict nine to five kind of thing, and that I think is is helps the productivity. Oh, absolutely, and you know I. You probably like me in that I have two or three different prime times. I'm a morning person, about noonish or so. I'm like, oh, and I catch myself yeah. looking at the same piece of code, and not seeing where it's supposed to go. And then around mm-hmm. two o'clock, you know, I'm I'm back, but I'm still a little bit faded. For some reason, early evening, I'm like, oh, here I go. And I may be at my desk yeah. until 11 o'clock at night. So I've learned to, to follow my own biorhythms, if you will, instead of just hammering at it, because your creativity suffers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think I have something similar where I'm productive in the morning and then sort of the afternoon is when I'm not. So I go to the gym at that point and I have my lunch. And then, uh, you know, 
late evening is, is again when I pick it up again. So uh, yeah. I structure, I add, like I have my meetings during the day when I'm not creative or productive, and then in the evening I do some creative work. Same here. It took me a while to get past that yeah. nine to five thing that we're so it hammered into us at school, you know, nine to five, yeah. nine to five, eight thirty, whatever it is. It takes time to go, you know what, that doesn't actually work for me. I'm not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a mindset. So we were talking a little bit, you know, when we were talking about starting the new company, and then you talked about capital. So what are some tips and tricks that you can share with people to raise venture capital if they're going to do what you have done so beautifully? Yeah, you know, if you're going down that route, I think um, it, it, VC is all about a story. It's a story you tell to investors to show them that you have something that's got huge uh, future potential, right? Because what they're betting on is they're not looking at what you have right now. Or I mean, some of them do like what you have right now in terms of a team, a product, or a user, or revenue. Um, and those are like good early indicators for them. But they're also looking at what's the big vision you have here. What is that story you're telling? And, you know, uh, when you think about like our story, for example, we are using AI to generate content. That's a huge, huge, huge market. That's a multi-billion dollar market. So for VCs, that's they go, wow, okay, that. Yeah, I lost. Are you still there? Oh. You kind of. Oh. Um, I don't know what happened. You just you're kind of coming and going. Keep talking, and let's see. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, is it safe? It's basically a, a story you're telling. So you want to make sure that you have a really good story and a really strong vision that you could sell to investors so that they can see the potential of your your business going forward. Um, so if you take a look at Clubhouse, for example, um, they are valued at billions of dollars right now, right? And they don't make any revenue. I know. I know. It's insane. Right? Yeah, but does it? And and they don't have they didn't even have a revenue plan until very recently, but they raised so much money. How do they do that? Um, it's just because of a really good story they were telling, and because of the momentum they had of like people talking about it online. Uh, since everyone was talking about it, and everyone wanted to sign up, and you know they have like the whole waitlist thing, so it's like a bit of exclusivity. So you know more people were talking about it because they couldn't get in even. Um, yes, that's and true. Then Yes. And I wanted in because like, I couldn't oh. get in. I had to, you know, yeah. played with a few people. It's like, you, can you get me in? Can you get me in? They're like, sure. I mean, I <laughs> got in right away, but oh my gosh. I mean, just that had people going, well, yeah. what is this? Now I need to go see. It's just the curiosity factor, I think, was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And all of that builds out this builds a story around it, right? Like this this mystique around uh, around Clubhouse, and so the investors are going, "Ooh, what is this cool new thing that everyone's talking about?" Even though many people aren't using it, even though they have no revenue, right? And then the vision the vision of the founders as well is is what sells them at the end, right? The founders go, "You know what? This could be huge, billion dollar company." You know, it could be bigger than Facebook. And then all the investors who missed out on Facebook are going, well, I don't want to miss out on this, right? And so there's like oh, a lot yeah. of, uh, I mean, investors are human, right? So, so there's a lot of FOMO happening, fear of missing out. You don't want to miss out on the next big deal. So you you put you invest money. And so if you can create that story for your product, your business, and you can you can show that there's a huge vision going forward and that people are interested today, 
and even if you don't have revenue, you don't have a big team, you don't have a lot of users, you can still get funding. See, I would have never thought of that. I've never even looked at venture capital. I'm not sure mm-hmm. I ever will, to be honest. I don't think I need it, but you never know. So where does one start? You know, when, once that idea kind of trickles into their head like it is now with me, where do you start? And I love what you're talking about storytelling. I mean, as a podcaster, we're telling stories. As marketers, mm-hmm. we're telling stories. You know, we're getting people to know us, like us, and trust us through those story skills, you know, storytelling yep. skills. But where where would people start? This okay? I've got this great idea. Now what? I think the first step you should do is, if you have a great idea, is to try and build a sort of prototype and test out the idea. You know, and it doesn't have to be fancy or anything. And you could even just do, when I started this company, my first prototype was a set of designs. You know, um, and it was just like clickable designs, a prototype on Figma. And uh, I called up a bunch of friends who were marketers and I was saying, hey, I have this idea. I haven't built a product yet, but I've come up with some designs that will sort of give you an idea of what the product does. Would you like to just give me some feedback on it? And they're like, yeah, sure, okay spend 30 minutes with 10 people. You have them look at the prototype designs, have them walk through it, give you feedback on it. And if there's interest there, then you, you know, maybe you can hire someone to build out the basic product, like an MVP. And then when you build that out, then you get maybe 30 more or 50 people on it, get them to use it. And it's kind of like an iterative process there, right? And then as you do that, you build out this, you have the story building as well. Like, look, I first created a bunch of designs. Ten people said they would use it. Then I created a basic prototype. Fifty people said they would use it. Right now, we're trying to develop the actual product. We've got demand. Can you give us some money so that we can go on and build a full product? That just sounds so darn easy. Of course it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's tough. Um, But, uh, and it's a lot of work even just to, get these prototypes out but if you can do it that way and validate it then you know that you're not spending too much time or effort on the wrong thing and going down the wrong road exactly and listen this is something that the very earliest marketers and you know facebook and you know all the different places the big big marketers them are still around some of them are not but they would literally do what you're saying and they would say okay what is your interest in this they would get people to pay many thousands of dollars for a product that really didn't exist. It was in the works. Yep. But they were testing what people wanted, what their interest was, and what they needed, and building it as that money came in. It was very smart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, wow. I told you this was the fastest 16 minutes on the Internet. We've got about a minute <laughs> yeah. left. Before I let you go, what would you like to share with the audience? I mean, what pearls of wisdom do you have? What thoughts do you have before you know we say goodbye? Yeah, I think my number one uh, thought is, is this is actually a really good time to start a new company. Uh, and you can do it online, right? And if, especially if it's in the U.S., you, you, create, you can create a company through, uh, you can you know, incorporate a company through Stripe Capital and use Mercury Bank. And boom, you've got a bank account and a company within a couple of days. Um, and then you don't have to invest a ton of money creating a crazy product. You can just like create a few designs and start to test out. 
right? Take small steps, but take that first step. See, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it just never occurred to me. And I agree with you. This is a terrific, this always a time to start a new business, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. I don't have much sense. So there you go. <laughs> but it just, this is a really good time to, you know, be helpful. Find what people need. Give them what they need. Work with them to find out what else they need. So don't, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, Sid, is if people are going, oh, this is not a good time, it's never going to be a perfect time. <laughs> yeah. It's always a good time, right? And people always need yeah. something. They need advice. They need whatever it is that you can offer them. That's why people are so thirsty to follow you on Facebook or Twitter or wherever the heck you are because you're clearly offering information that either gets them to think about something or buy from you, or even go off on a whole different tangent and become your competitor if they want to. I mean, social media is both toxic and fantastic. You just need to figure out where you're going to be on those platforms. Yeah, exactly. Sid, thank you. I mean, it has been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. My brain is kind of sizzling. (laughs) I've been writing things down like crazy. So I thank you for all of the wonderful tips and advice you've shared with our audience, and I love what you're doing with your product. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes. And honestly, I just found myself in uh, Audible the other day, petted myself on the head. We are anywhere that you consume your business podcast. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Sid, thank you so much. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.